Genesis 3, just for a starting place. I want to tell you the story of pain, and I want you to put your story in it, which, by the way, is what you should be doing everything in every day of your life. You're not writing your story so much as you're writing, he's writing yours into his. So before I get started, let me ask you a few preliminary questions. Everyone in this room, everyone, has felt pain of some kind to some degree. How many of you are in somewhat of pain now, other than having to hear me? In pain, some, yes. How many of you are in chronic pain, meaning it probably is pretty steady most days? Right? Balcony, yep. How many of you take medications for it? Right? (laughs) Don't answer this one out loud or raise your hand. How are you handling it? How will you handle it? If you haven't had much pain, this sounds pretty bad to say, but you will. Right? And some degree or another, we all face it. And the question is, how will we handle it? And that's an important question because in America at large, we don't handle it very well at all. I read a book recently that said that we are the worst of every nation in the entire world handling pain. The book said this, but it wasn't always like that. It wasn't always like that. And the reason is, is because over the last generation or so, probably more, our worldviews have changed in America predominantly. Um, right now, the worldview all about self, self and uh, expressive individualism, um, we want to get rid of pain at all costs. We want to avoid it. We don't want it as part of our life. In fact, we have painkillers. We have pain doctors. We desire pain-free living, chronic pain, get rid of it. In fact, we have people who help you be Manage your pain, and the list of things is endless. The old view of pain used to be, in the older generations, maybe some of you here still have this, but pain was a symptom of a conflict between a person's internal and external self, meaning when you had pain, the focus wasn't the feeling itself so much about the feeling and what it told you about yourself and what you needed to do in your life to change as a result of it. And so people were looking about looking at pain as something that could help them achieve their life purpose even more so. But that's not how people see it anymore. The secular worldview that is most dominant, most prominent anymore is this, that the material world that we see is really all that there is. So... Follow me. The meaning of life has become this. To have freedom and get happiness in the best ways that you possibly can no matter what. So therefore, if that's true, pain has become, as one author I read, an interruption of our life story. It is simply an accident that we can avoid at all costs. Because there are no more transcendent, there is not a transcendent God. There isn't someone who makes it all work together for good. It used to be that suffering posed a responsibility and an opportunity to the person who was undergoing it. 
But that is no longer the case. It's only something to be gotten rid of because it has no way that it can help you achieve your life purpose. In other words, it doesn't mold you, form your character. Nobody's interested in that anymore. And so people, can I say it, waste their pain. Pain now is seen as random, meaningless, without purpose. In fact, let me read you a quote. You probably know him. He died not that long ago. Richard Dawkins, famous atheist, wrote a book called The River Out of Eden, subtitle, A Darwinian View of Life. In other words, we're all here randomly by accident and there's no purpose to anything. And when, when he says that, here's what he says about pain. For nature, it's heartless, witless. It neither cares nor knows what you're going through. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is. And we dance to its music. In short, he goes on to say, pain means nothing at all. It is an evil hiccup. Suffering cannot be a good chapter in your life story because it has no meaning. That's a world without God sees pain. But we all know, don't we, that without meaning, you die. Without any purpose, you don't want to keep going on. You don't want to keep enduring the pain. And so we have two choices to make as a result of it. You either create your own meaning or you live out the one that God has designed. In chapter 3, I want to go over it. And I want to tell you something that maybe about pain you haven't considered about how important it is. And it sounds like a big word, but I'm going to explain it to you. It's important to contextualize your pain. And by that I mean... Put it in its story, narrative. Let me tell you what I mean. In the Bible, pain can only be properly understood and responded to if it is seen and responded to in the story that it's written into. Let us start with Genesis 3. This is the first use of the word pain in the entire Bible. It is the origin of pain. Genesis 3.17, God is talking to Adam and Eve and ultimately the snake because of their disobedience to him. And he's telling them the results of it. Verse 17, and to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, circle it, in pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Adam is going to have pain when he does the ground. Eve is going to have pain later on when she has childbirth. Right? And so pain is part of a story. Let me read to you. And I have copy. And I got another copy. I would, if I had a teenager today, I would give them this. And make it required reading. And it is called The 70 Resolutions of Jonathan Edwards. Who was a Puritan back in the 1700s. When he was 17 years old. He sat down and wrote 70 theses or propositions that he would live by the rest of his life. This is a teenager. One of them was number 10 on the list of 70 read this. Resolved, when I feel pain, to think of the pains of martyrdom, both of Jesus and of believers around the world, and remind myself of the reality of hell. 
Why did he write that? Because when he felt pain, he wanted it to tutor him, to teach him. He didn't want to waste it. He wanted to learn lessons from when he was pained. He didn't want to just get through it or get past it or avoid it at all costs. Not that he wanted it. But he wanted more than anything else to learn from it. And more than that, make himself like Jesus. If the goal of life is individual freedom and happiness, then pain has no possible use. But we are different. We are different. Life does have purpose. It does have meaning. And therefore, pain has useful function. Do you ever think those ways? Do you think... I'm going to ask God, help me to use this pain in my life. You cannot do it unless you live in God's story. And the first time it's mentioned in God's story is in the Garden of Eden. And it's a result of our sin. So every time you feel pain, for him it was thinking of martyrdom and the pains of hell, that he would live rightly. That his pains would be used to that end in his life. But for us, we might say, pain, you know what it drives me to? It remembers that I seek independence from God. And resulting in my disobedience to God. And that's why I have this pain. It's been passed down for me. That's, it's part of my story. Now, how does that matter to us? If you read 1 Peter multiple chapters in that book, you'll find that God wants you and I, listen, to prepare for pain. He does. He wants you as much as possible to be ready for it when it comes. And verses like, do not think it's strange to experience fiery trials. Don't think it's strange. In other words, you be prepared. When you have pain come in your life, it should not blow you out of the water. It should not be just some shock to you because this is part of the story we live in. And it can prepare you, and, tr- and I would say to so this, train you, Hebrews 12, read it sometime. It can discipline you and prepare you for the greatest things that possibly could come in your life. You will look through the pages of Scripture biographically, and you will find this, that the God, who, God uses, the, the greatest people God uses, he also bruises. Pain is part of of being used by God in a great way. And if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to follow Jesus and be like him, you have to realize that there is pain in our story. The world doesn't know how to do that at all. Um, Sufferers are victims of the impersonal universe. So they have to go, here's what they do. They go to the experts, And they go to psychologists and psychiatrists. And their job is, whether on a medical level, psychological level, social or civil level, their job is to alleviate pain. And to do that, they remove all of the stressors, as many as possible. But no one ever addresses the life story. No one ever tells, let's just get rid of symptoms. I don't want to feel this way. And so everybody is taking a medication or a pill to, to solve your psychological problems most of the time. And what we've done is we've denarrativized. We, we've taken pain out of its story, and therefore it has no meaning, it has no purpose, and it doesn't do, we've paganized pain. 
But the Bible says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, when the pain comes your way in God's sovereign providence, I want you to put it in the context of the story in which you live so that it can have meaning and make sense out of it and God can use it to form you and to make you more like Jesus. If you'll turn to the last book of the Bible, our bookends, Revelation 21, verse 4, gives us the last use of the word pain in the Bible. I'll read all four verses because the chapter itself is so beautiful. Revelation 21, 1, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth for the first heaven. The first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. What a beautiful statement. The little phrase, no more, is a double negative in the Greek language. It means never, never again. And you're going to find it throughout this text. No more this, no more sea, no more crying, no more death. It's a great, it's a great phrase of the new creation. No more. Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear. He will wipe away. It's an imminent God who comes and says, The story of pain will end. It will have a final chapter and we will live happily ever after. The fairy tale ending will come in the end, and death shall be, there it is again, no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, double negative, nor pain any more. No more going to the doctor, Carl. Right? No more CAT scans and MRIs. You're out of a job, Conrad. Right? No more pain, no more going to the ER room, no more surgeries, no more medications, no more, never, ever again. Now, before you miss it, as great as that is, remember who John is writing to. He's writing to seven churches toward the end of the first century under Domitian, who gave the heaviest persecution of all Christians in the first century of more than any emperor And these were people who were hurting. Read the book for yourself. They are being persecuted. There's hundreds and thousands of people under the altar shouting, God, when you're going to avenge us? Because they were then martyred for their faith. They've been in the arena. They've been fed to lions. They were put as human torches. Awful pain. Awful amounts of pain. And for them, here's how they got through it. Here's They didn't waste their pain. See, they had to live now in light of the future. Can I tell you this? Your beliefs about the future are dictating everything about how you're facing the present. Everything. It is good for us to know the whole story of pain. Not just the beginning, it's the awful beginnings, but the awesome endings of pain. So we know this, that when you go through pain and Sherry carries her crutch around in the patch and all of those things, right? Not forever. And we look forward to a day. Now, here's the question. Ready? How do you live in the middle of the story? How do you live in the middle of the story? Hebrews chapter, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 53, 
and verse 5 says, Jesus is, we quote normally, man of sorrows. Hebrew word means pains. He's a man of pains. He suffered for us. Here's how it works. Before we fell, world without pain. In the end, at the revelation, the new creation, world without pain. In between, world with pain. And a lot of it. A lot of daily pain. How are we going to handle it? How are we going to work our way through it? We have to look to God, number one. Exodus 3 in verse 7 is a beautiful verse because it talks about the people of Israel that are in slavery in Egypt. And God looks down and here's what he says, that he's going to send Moses to them. And here's how. Because God knows their pain. God knows their pain. He is not a distant deity that can't be touched. He knows. He knows the tears. He knows the difficulties. He knows the griefs. He knows all of it. I heard their cry. I know their sufferings. The word pains. I know them. There are so many beautiful psalms um, that we could refer to tonight. But one of them, my particular favorite, is the verse that says, God holds our tears in a bottle. I find myself praying that often. That God knows the integral details of your life, what makes you cry, how much you cry. If you read the Bible thoroughly from cover to cover, you're going to find that God's sovereignty is incredibly personal and intimate. Let me give you some examples. He knows the rain. In Job, he says he makes the rain to rain heavy and he makes it to rain light. And so when you go outside on a stormy day, see, think this way. And when it's drizzling, you say, wow, look at God's hand. He's just, it's a little rain. And you're getting home. You're not getting totally drenched on. And you don't, almost don't need the umbrella. But then it says, he also makes it to rain heavy. And so it's downpour. And you go, what in the world is that? It's God's hand. That's what it is. John Newton, you know John Newton. He wrote the most famous song ever, Christian. What is it? Amazing Grace, Slave Trader Turns Christian. He has a quote in his book, a little paperback book. It's well worth reading, the, the letters of John Newton. And it says in there that everything God sends is necessary. And everything that God withholds is unnecessary. In other words, all the pain that God brings into your life, absolutely necessary. Absolutely necessary. But do you see his sovereign hand in it? Do you see his providence? See, the word providence means pro-video. See before. See, God has seen before all the things that would be necessary in your life to conform you to the man of sorrows, the man of pains. If you're going to be like him and you're going to be following in the steps of Jesus, then you're going to need to know that pain is useful and it has purposes in your life. If you read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 and following, the very phrase where the following the steps of Jesus comes from, comes from the fact of a passage when he suffered. And it says he suffered, but he didn't want revenge. He didn't uh, take revenge. He didn't 
yell back, it should be. He didn't slander back. He didn't verbally assault people. He didn't do any of those things. But it says he committed unto him who is to be trusted. That's what the passage says. You know why? Because Jesus believed this truth. He believed that pain had a purpose. And he believed that without that purpose, he wouldn't be able to come more like Jesus. For me, illustration, I've been pain-free pretty much my whole life. Um, Until recently, I have knee problems. Anybody else have knee problems? Too much sports for me. That's what I'm blaming it on. Couldn't be that I'm old and decrepit, but that could be another thing. But I had surgery. I have... uh, uh, What's x-rays? I have no more ligaments in my leg. They're gone, worn out. So I bone on bone, and so now I take every once in a while shots, cortisone shots, to be able to pretty much numb it is what it is. It doesn't work as much as the first time. So down the road for me, maybe this year yet, knee replacement surgery, right? So I can look at it how I can look at it is Pastor Dave tore his shoulder, right? Sorry, Dave. I want to bring it in so I'm not the only person who's got problems. Um, but what do you do with it? What do you do with it? For me, I've decided that this is probably the least amount of pain I'm ever going to have. So it's only going to get worse from here on out. Isn't that hopeful? But I really, really, really want to ask God to use it in my life. I, I want to use it like John Mark has used it to pass out battle bags when you have cancer. See, I want to use it. I I want to be able to have surgery and talk to people and in the office and the doctor's visits and bring things for them and share Christ with them. I want the pain, like Jonathan Edwards, I want it to be my teacher. I want it to say, you know, and here's just my weird way of thinking. I'm a walker and I can't walk right. I mean, that's pretty about down to basics in my life. But for me, it triggers me to think this. You can't walk right. You're a walker. Maybe God wants you to think about your walk. Not your physical one, but your spiritual one. So I've been thinking about that and about cripples in the Bible and people who are healed and how when you can't walk right, you have to depend on someone. So you get crutches and a wheelchair sometimes. It's severe enough. You know why? Because you have to have help. And isn't it true? That I didn't really have to get knee problems to realize I needed help to walk, right? But I hope that you can take the time in your life to think through what are the purposes that God has for me in my life. When you get done with it, I know Dave's went today to shoulder therapy. I know that they've already told me, <laughs> this is funny, they told me, you know, when you get your surgery done and you're one leg at a time, you will have to be out of work for three months for each one. <laughs> I said, no, that's not happening. I said, three days, maybe. Three months? Who takes three months off of work? How could you possibly do that? But I'm saying, you know what I'm saying? That here's what it is. But you know what it takes? It takes that long to maybe see what God can do in your life with it. Right? To see that God's working in your life. Why? Because pain has a purpose. Listen to this quote. George MacDonald said this. The Son of God suffered unto death pain. Not that men might not suffer pain, but they might suffer pain like him. Oh, Jesus died on the cross and suffered 
infinite pain, not so that you would not have pain, but so that when you do, you would have the ability to make that pain make you more like him. So we can walk through pain. We can lie down in it, stand still in it, or run away. And I'm going to, by God's grace, run to him in it, in our pain. Who would you say, and let me ask you this tonight, in the catalog of people in the Bible who have faced pain, who comes to your mind most often and why? Yes. Yes, Paul. What is it about Paul that helps you in your pain? I can survive it with, with the Jesus blessing. Good, good. He definitely survived it. I would, how, would you say more than that? Did he just, I think he did more than survive it, right? He used it, right? He used it six times in the New Testament. Paul lists his pains six times. And I can't even, I wouldn't even gross you out enough to tell you all about what that means, the pains he had in his life. He even had a thorn in the, in the flesh, right? He said so much pain that in Galatians 6.14, he says... Let no one ever say anything negative anymore. I'm translating. He says, because I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. So it was almost, pain was almost an identity marker for him. That it was part and parcel about being an apostle and following him. Pain was pretty much the core of what he was about. Right? Who else? When you think of pain in the Bible and the... Lots of people who had pain, not even just physical, right? You know there's all kinds of different pains. Is it Conrad? Job. Job. Classic, right? Answer. Because why do you think of him other than you just know the story? Okay, good. Yes. And I think of how he had, he was going to question God and how God says, like, who are you to question me, right? And it just allows me to know, like, I can, knowing God and having a relationship with him, knowing that I can trust him, so I don't have to question God, right? Right. And and, and seeing that, like, in in there, that really, like, encourages me, like, when you get suffering or any type of pain. Okay. Yeah. It's going to work out. And Job didn't even know the whole story behind it all, did he? I mean, not, not like we do. It was hard for him to contextualize way more than us. But I love the fact that in Job, pain is, you know, domestic. It's domestic. I mean, whether it's, he wasn't an apostle only, but he had a wife and he had children. And it's, it wasn't, quote unquote, a superhero kind of like a Paul we kind of think of sometimes. But he was an average guy in that sense and had a family. And uh, he makes it come real for us, doesn't he? Someone else. Yes, Tim. Mary. Mary. 
What about, I take it, Mother Mary, right? Yes? What about her? Well, first and foremost, uh, she was told that uh, her heart would be pierced because of Jesus' suffering. And first and foremost, standing at the cross, Jesus' mother is standing there, and every mother would suffer greatly watching their child mm. through that horrible, horrible experience. He was beaten like no other man in Isaiah, um, who, who must have been a excruciating for her um, to experience. Yes, yes. Mary, Hannah, in the Bible, emotional pain. How, what do you think about this? I, I, my first thought was Peter. And the reason is two times, like at the end of John's gospel at, on the shore after the resurrection, Jesus says to him, when you're old, they're going to take you and pick you up and take you where you don't want to go and stretch out your hands and it says, and Jesus was talking about the kind of death by which he would glorify God. So early in your life, you're told you are going to have pain. And it's going to be what you don't want. And they're going to take you there and you're going to have it anyways. And that's how you're going to die. For the next decades, Peter lives with that. And if you read the book of Second Peter, the first chapter, he starts out saying, I know it's time for me to put off my tent. That's his nice way of saying, I'm going to leave this life. And he says this, just as our Lord Jesus told me. So, you know, 25-ish late years later, 30 years later, he's lived with that whole thing his life. And it's ready to suffer and die. And so he writes First and Second Peter to people who are suffering. You know why? Because he didn't want to waste his crucifixion traditionally upside down. He didn't want to waste his pain. He knew it ahead of time. Why? Because Jesus prepared him for pain. He thought he should prepare the Christians that he ministered to so that they would be trained, that they would be ready for any difficulties that they would face. It's one thing to believe in God. It's quite another to trust in him. Can I tell you this? And I'll close. I said this tonight because my fear is for all of us, including myself, and so I'm helping myself to it, is that I think that we are really good at theological and storing facts about suffering and how to respond to it in our theological warehouses. And we're very good at knowing how to respond to pain in the abstract. So we can sit in this room tonight, talk about the story of pain from beginning to end and how to live in the middle of it. And we're th talking principles and we're talking theories and we give examples and we have pr principles that we've established. But how do we take the abstract and actually be more prepared to be able to make the right choices and have the right affections and have the right attitudes that we'll be able to do it in real life situations. How do you do that? Can I tell you? Here's part of it. Daniel was ready for the lion's den. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were ready for the furnace. And David was ready for Goliath. Because they all faced smaller tests first. David says, I'm going to go face Goliath. You know why? Because when I was watching my father's sheep, I killed a lion and a bear. And this Goliath, this Philistine, will be no different. He had a history with God. And so when no one was looking, 
I was killing lions and bears through God's power. So when everybody's looking, I can kill the giant. Why? Because it's not me. It's him working in and through me. See? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, before they ever got to the crisis events that we are, they, they're famous for, they had the food test. Would you eat the food and the drink, the wine that they gave them in the court? And they said, no, we'll be different. We're going to do this. Although it seems like a small matter compared to the other ones, they said, no, you know what? We're going to do right before God in this small matter. And so when they made the step of faith and did not eat the food and drink the wine which he gave, Daniel purposed in his heart that he wouldn't. He did the tough inner work of the heart now. And so when they faced those major crises, they were ready. They had been trained for it. So... Knee surgeries are preparation for cancers and other things that take place in your life and ultimately your death. And so when you go to the doctor's office and they set your bone that you broke or stitches that you've had, those are all preparatory. They're all training grounds. They're all little things in your life that you trust him and that you work through that pain, and you say, God, don't let me waste it. Don't let me waste it. Use it in my life for others and for your glory. And see, God says, that's the story of pain, and that's where you put it. We see the beginning, and we see the end, and we see how now we can respond to every sort of pain in between because God's using it to write his story through your life. Let's pray. Father, Help us. We don't want to be a harbinger of bad or gloomy news. But reality says that we're going to face pain, difficulty, suffering. We can wait for it to come and hope that we respond well. Or we can take the, can I say, smaller pains less severe pains, non-chronic pains, and we can have you and ask you to use them to form and mold and shape us. The loss of a job, the dissolving of a relationship, the financial struggle, the betrayal of a friend, Lord, all of those things, if we will allow you to use them, can work together for our good. They can work to prepare us and train us so that in our suffering, in our pain, that we can still remain faithful and obedient to you and glorify your name. Help us, Lord, no matter where we are in this process of preparation, that pain might be purposeful and productive in our lives that we might not paganize it, we might not just try to get through it, although it's good to do, that there be more to that in our pain, that it might make us more like you. Help us to realize also, Lord, although we didn't talk about it tonight, often it takes a community to do that. So we love each other and pray for each other and encourage each other and strengthen each other's faith when we're in pain, because with you and with each other, we never have to face it alone. Blessed be your name. For Christ's sake, we ask these things. Amen.